Hey everybody, it's Sean from the Commander's Brew. Welcome to another episode. Thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it. I'm going to start with the business. Do that up top. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing on our YouTube channel. I think that helps out a lot. Other ways to help, you know, the usual tell a friend. That's kind of the best way, word of mouth. Uh, if you are inclined, you can go to patreon.com slash commandersbrew. That's a fantastic way to help out like with like donation types. Keep the lights on, as it were. And if you're going to buy cards, use the TCG player link in the show notes of this or any other episode. Or if you are Canadian, this one's for you. This is actual money off your magic singles. Go to the Wizards Tower, wizardtower.com, new coupon code. Commander's Brew is proudly Canadian and proud to be sponsored by one of Canada's premier card stores, the Wizards Tower, wizardtower.com. Our Canadian listeners get an exclusive coupon code, BREWBALDERS to get 5% off your singles with any order of $20 or more. Check out the decklist for this week's episode, past episodes, and all sorts of magic-related content at wizardtower.com. I happen to be an experienced d and I can spin a D4 like a top. And yes, I think I want to, I don't want to double tread on what the episode is talking about, but I know I'm secret behind the scenes info. I love dropping these little behind-the-scenes things. Uh, I am recording this intro, as I often do, after I've recorded the deck tech. It kind of helps me make sure I mention everything that needs to be mentioned and that there's no surprises, but then sometimes I forget the specifics. So I, I don't want to, I know I go on a little bit of a rant about possible rule zero conversations involving starting with 30 life in particular and... Another little bit later in the episode, I and I know I do a little bit of a rant on conceding at sorcery speed. My thoughts on that TLDR, you don't have to concede at sorcery speed, but I think the game should pretend like you conceded at the next time to take away any strategic advantages of conceding. I mean, there you go. I, I summarized it so succinctly. You kind of don't need to listen to that part. So is it a mistake to record these after? I don't know. One of the things I do want to bring up, though, is that I'm going to keep this beginning banter short because we go a little bit deep on this one. I know some people have been saying that the Commander Legends were a little bit, you know, I'm word on the street is it's less than impressive in the sense that there's not a lot of legendaries that want to brew around. I get that. The, the set has to be drafted. You have to put in a bunch of synergies. They have to work together. They have to be carefully balanced. And that's easiest to do if you kind of make them a little bit simpler that way. I, simpler is the wrong word, but you don't know what I'm getting at. I but, but here's why I like it. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree that they're not it's not as interesting as other sets necessarily. I think there's plenty to dig through. I think people have been maybe just looking on the surface and not really been thinking about stuff. What I like about commanders like this, quite frankly, is they're not all obvious to build around. They don't all tell you like, hey, put in all the cards that say this, put in the best removal, the best ramp, the best uh, extra effects type of things, counter spells, that sort of thing. And there's your deck. These don't seem like that. And I personally like that. Here at Commander's Brew, I love going deep on a commander. I love presenting you a few different angles. I love presenting you angles you may not have thought of before. And I do believe if I haven't already spoiled it in the title, I might because it's too interesting. Um, I think I've got a very cool angle for this Bane deck. Uh, so there you go. 
I'm not going to spend too much more time rambling. Let's get to the deck tech. Okay, let's get to the deck. This is Bane, Lord of Darkness. One white, blue, black, that's Esper, legendary creature, god. Another god for any type of god, tribal shenanigans you want to get going on. They keep giving us more, and I guess I hadn't put this together from the spoilers, but there is an indestructible clause here. Uh, your life total has to be less than or equal to your starting life total. That is 20. Uh, or 15, you know, if you start with 30. I, I'll say this whenever it comes up. I do think starting a multiplayer game of Commander with 30 life makes for a better game. No comment on whether or not people brew for that. I have not brewed for 30 life on purpose. I just think it makes it smoother and it kind of cuts out that middle part of the game. You know, like if you use like this is what writers do. Writers are like, hey, is there a scene that's not interesting? Is there like a part of the story that doesn't really advance things that much? Just cut it. See if the story still works if you just cut it. That's kind of how I feel about that early middle part of the game, right? And if you knock down to 30 life, you really do avoid that. The beginning's good, people are ramping out, but then there's that middle part where it's like, yeah, pay a life for the fetch, pay two for the shock, no problem. Swing at you for five. Five damage, don't care, no problem. And the that kind of part, nothing matters at that phase. But you start at 30, you crack a couple fetches, you shock yourself a bit, you let in a couple of chip damage things. Suddenly, life totals matter. Anyway, I didn't mean to get on such a rant about why I like 30 damage so much, but nonetheless, Bane, indestructible if you have equal to or less than half your life total. So it's a four mana, five, two God. And here's the key. Whenever another creature you control dies, another non-token creature, I might add, target opponent may have you draw a card. If they don't, you may put a creature card with equal or lesser toughness from your hand onto the battlefield. So right away, we have the potential to cheat out giant creatures. We can assume that our opponents won't just pick the one we want a lot, but either way, we're going to get something good from this. Whenever a non-token creature dies, we get to draw a card. Is That's probably what's going to happen. Or we get to put something in with equal or lesser toughness. If something with one toughness dies, our opponents may take a risk on it, and we'll show them that that's we will always have something to do. Nonetheless, how are we going to build Bane? A lot of people were saying that, you know, the general power level of Commander Legends Baldur's Gate is a little bit low and they're not super interested in stuff like this, maybe more for the 99. But I do think that people are looking at this opponents may choose and I think that's why people are writing off Bane. But I, there's potential here. So let's explore it. Let's go on a little journey. First thing we can identify is that we want non-token creatures. So we're going to try to look to creatures to do most of our utility things. And ramp is a nice place to start. There isn't a ton of ramp creatures in Esper Colors. There's a few white creatures that tutor up a planes if you have less than other people. Uh, but I definitely want to, I like to call him the blue harrow guy. This is Dreamscape Artist. I've mentioned him on the podcast here before. Two mana for a 1-1. One, one. That's a 1-1. One, one. So... We can pop this guy down if another non-token creature dies because nothing will have zero toughness. I suppose things will die if things give them negative toughness, like minus two, minus two. So that's a way that won't work out for us. The game will see that they had negative toughness. I'm going to assume normal destruction rules apply. So Dreamscape Artist, two mana, one, one. 
human shell human spell shaper and you have two and a blue to tap basically harrow right you discard a card that is the card that represents the harrow card sack a land search your library for up to two basics put them onto the battlefield and then shuffle your library it's exactly harrow a card from your hand goes to the graveyard and two untapped basics appear on the battlefield and one of your lands goes to the graveyard presumably one of the ones you use to cast the ability fantastic ramp and this is repeatable too right like if you can kind of spare a couple of mana here and there that's the beauty of dreamscape artist it's instant speed because it's an ability you just kind of hold it up and if you've got other things to do great and if you opponents don't make you act then you can just spend that mana on ramping yourself very nice let's talk about sack outlets it's whenever non-token creatures die that's when bane's abilities trigger so obviously we want sack outlets and ideally the ones on creatures Viscerous here is about as good as it gets, a single black mana for a 1-1 vampire wizard, and the cost to sacrificing things are free. You just get to sacrifice it as the ability, and what you get is a scry 1. I've said it before, but it would probably be worth playing a 1-mana artifact that just says sacrifice a creature, nothing happens. Like, that is often worth it in a lot of decks. Viscerous here is about as nothing as you can get for the effect but we still run it it's one of the most popular sack outlets because it's so cheap and it's free carrion feeder similarly it's a single mana zombie uh it can't block which matters i think you know is this better than viscerous here worse i don't know but you can sack a creature again this is a free ability you can use as much as you want put a plus one plus one counter on carrion feeder so this becomes really interesting because carrion feeder now becomes a real combatant we can make carrying feeder big enough to tussle in combat but also carrying feeder's toughness is going to get high so no matter what's in our hand when carrying feeder dies we can make sure that we can scoop something in from our hand if our opponents choose that one so i think we're definitely going to want to brew this deck with a few high impact creatures with high mana costs that have very low toughness this is how we're going to cheat for things we're going to pay one mana to cast a regular creature it's going to die and if an opponent picks the put something from your hand down we want to be able to put something good and i think this is a fantastic one one for six it's a six mana one one it's thief of blood four black black for a one one vampire with flying but as is true for a lot of these something happens when it enters the battlefield and it is not a one one forever as Thief of Blood enters the battlefield, remove all counters from all permanents. Thief of Blood enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it for each counter removed this way. All counters from all permanents. We're stealing right away all planeswalkers die. We take all the plus one plus one counters on things. If people are messing around with like, I don't know, like shield counters now or the new kind of keyword ability tokens like lifelink or trample things like that those are gone too charge counters on artifacts if anyone's trying to proliferate you set them back to zero fantastic card that we can potentially put in for free umbris fear manifest is another interesting one it's a one one in hand it's three blue black for a one one nightmare horror but it gets plus one plus one for each card your opponents own in exile so how many cards are in exile don't know might not be a lot right now but that will change we will the cards will go into exile uh whenever umbris or another nightmare or horror enters the battlefield under your control target opponent exiles cards from the top of the library until they exile a land card so at minimum you're going to get one bonus so 
Umbris will be a 2-2 at the very minimum, which I think is fair. Like a 2-2 will be able to get most of the creatures in the deck if we build it for that. And again, the ceiling on Umbris is very high. And on the cheap end of things, something like White of Precinct 6 is a 2 mana 1-1, but it gets plus 1 plus 1 for each creature card in your opponent's graveyards. All of them put together. All of your opponent's graveyards add up all the creatures. That's how big White of Precinct 6 is. It's potentially one of the bigger creatures in the deck, you know, until I talk about future segments. And again, what I like is it comes down cheap, and it will have big toughness, so it will be able to get other creatures out. Now, I've been talking about this a lot sneaking in creatures with low toughness with big impactful abilities huge mana advantages your opponents are likely to never choose that we can assume that bane reads whenever a non-token creature dies draw a card obviously if our hand is completely empty our opponents know we can gain nothing from it so they will choose the put a thing into play so i mean there's exceptions to it but i think if you've got a bunch of cards in hand your opponents just can't take the risk And we will have something like, you know, a Thief of Blood. So if they do test the waters to be like, I don't know, put something into play. Let's see how it goes. You put in something huge. They're like, okay, that was a mistake. I guess I'll let you draw cards. Uh, There is a bit of a press your luck element there. But let's make the decision tougher for them. Let's make it so whenever we draw cards, something bad happens. So our opponents really don't have a great choice here. Things like Chasm Skulker. It's two and a blue squid horror one one again starts as a one one so it comes down for free if the opportunity presents itself when i say free you know what i mean something with one toughness dies this pops in whenever you draw a card put a plus one plus one counter on it and when it dies create x one one blue squid creature tokens with island walk where x is the number of plus one plus one counters on it very good in a similar vein toothy imaginary friend this is three and a blue for an illusion Starts with 1-1, and again, when you draw a card, put a plus one plus one counter on it. And this time, when Toothy leaves the battlefield, instead of making squid tokens, you draw a card for each plus one plus one counter. Toothy is not a May, so it is possible for your opponents to like make you draw a million cards and then kill Toothy, and then you deck out that way. That is possible. But again, I'm not worried about it. That's if if that's how I'm gonna go, that's how I'm gonna go. Onirophage is another similar thing. It's a four mana flying squid illusion. One, two, flying. Whenever you draw a card, put a plus one plus one counter on it. These cards are going to get huge because our opponents will probably make us be drawing cards. Psychosis Crawler, similarly, five mana artifact. Whenever we draw a card, each opponent loses one life. Now, this one starts as a star star, and that's power and toughness are equal to the number of cards in your hand. The game recognizes what a star is. A star is not, I mean, a star could be zero, but if a 1-1 one, one dies and I have five cards in hand, the game will see that Psychosis Crawler, as one of the cards in my hand, currently has a power and toughness of five. It is ineligible to put this down if a one-toughness creature dies through Bane's ability. Just a little caveat there. Some cards are zero zeros, and then they get counters added. Some cards are star-star, and they are always whatever they're supposed to be in whatever zone they are in. And I think a really interesting kind of punishment for just making me draw, like to really make that choice hard, is Triska Decophile. It's a two mana, one three human wizard, three toughness, higher on the toughness side. It's weird to say that three toughness is higher on that end. Uh, This is from Midnight Hunt. First of all, you have no maximum hand size. That's excellent. And at the beginning of your upkeep, 
if you have exactly 13 cards in your hand, you win the game. You're, now your opponents are in a position where, like, let's say you've got 11 cards in hand. You sack a non-token. Are they going to send you up to 12? Okay, now I'm going to do it again. Are you going to send me up to 13? Because if I have 13 and I get to go to my upkeep, I will win the game. So maybe they're like, okay, yes, I will let you go to 13. Now I'm planning on killing a creature and sending you to 14 so that you can't win the game with Triskaidekaphile's ability. Well, m- m- what if one of those is an instant? Now, now I cast an instant, maybe a Doomblade, let's say, for lack of creativity, and I kill another creature. So now, now I'm back to 13. Do you have another kill spell? Because I'm going to win. Triskaidekaphile, you, they, they will be forced, in a way, to just let you put creatures onto the battlefield. Because um, they can't just choose to lose, right? I mean, they can, but they shouldn't. Okay, so... Triskaidekaphile brings up the idea of no maximum hand size, and that is something we want to consider. There is a possibility of people just making a straw ton of cards and we got to discard them. It's, I mean, picking the best seven out of like 13 is good, but I'd rather just have the 13th. So things like wizard class does triple duty, double duty. Anyway, it starts as a one mana enchantment with no maximum hand size. Fine. We pay two and a blue and upgrade it to level two. We draw a couple cards. That's not what we're here for we're here for the next one four and a blue it's a hefty mana cost total what's that make that's nine mana total but now whenever we draw a card we put a plus one plus one counter on target creature we control that's what this deck's all about reliquary tower is a land-based way to have no maximum hand size i think it's useful to put something like this in you know there's a few slots in your lands where you can do cool things like this and i'm going to use one for reliquary tower for sure and then there's that tome it's a tome it's the eldraine tome i I couldn't think of what this was because I was looking for tomes, but I, I made a slight mistake. It's not a tome. It's a folio, the folio of fancies. One in a blue, artifact. Players have no maximum hand size. X, X, tap. Each player draws X cards. Or two blue, tap. Each opponent puts a number of cards equal to the number of cards in their hand from the top of their library into their graveyard. I like it for the no maximum hand size. Making players draw a bunch of cards. It's a basically two mana, everyone draw one card kind of deal. But we can really start milling them if we can get their hands full. And for those curious, what the difference between a tome and a folio is. A folio is a specific way to put a book together. It's the way that you fold the pages and attach them in the middle at the fold. That's a folio. Whereas a tome it's a bit more general. There's a lot of different ways. A folio could be a tome, but not all tomes are folios. Who says MTG doesn't teach you stuff? Anyway, okay, but here's where Folio Fancy's got me thinking. Now we could we might be able to look at some wheels, and particularly those wheels where everyone discards their hand and draws the maximum number someone discarded. We can expect to have the greatest hand size, probably, at the table. So when we wheel with a hand of 14, that means everyone's going up to 14 cards. And if we can do this multiple times, we can get them discarding 14 cards at a time. And Folio lets them mill 14 cards. I'm using 14 as an example. Jace's Archivist is a creature that lets us wheel. One blue blue, Vidalcan Wizard, 2-2, and blue, tap, Each player discards his or her hand, then draws equal to the greatest number of cards a player discarded that way. So let's say we've got that fictional 14, that imaginary 14, some creatures have died and they've let us draw on a bunch of cards because now our hand is too big. They just simply can't let us put creatures out. So now we use the ability on the end step before our turn. 
everyone discards goes back up to 14. We use it again on our turn. Everyone now discards 14, goes back up to 14. Maybe we use a folio of fancies in there once or twice, depending on how much mana is available. We have potentially put, to use that 14 as an example, uh, 42 cards off of everyone in the graveyard. 14 times 3. So that's pretty good. That's pretty good indeed. That's pretty good indeed. And, you know, maybe we run something like Thought Sponge. Uh, It's a flash four mana one one, but it enters the battlefield with a number of plus one plus one counters on it equal to the greatest number of cards an opponent has drawn this turn. So in this case of all this wheeling, people are drawn 14. So that means Thought Sponge is a 15, 15 for four with flash, but can come down off of the most minimum toughness dying with Bane. Very cool. And like, are we... Are we going, Mill? Is that a way we go? Do we run Phoenix, God of Deception? What's Phoenix up to? Well, only less than 10 bucks. That's good. Uh, but this is like the Mill King, I think. It's a f- the five mana God, another God for the deck, thematic, indestructible. Devotion to blue and black has to be seven. Otherwise, Phoenix isn't a creature. And it's probably a good thing. We like when they're not creatures. Creatures you control have tap. Target player puts the top X cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard, their graveyard, where X is this creature's toughness. So we're talking about big creatures. Chasm Skulker, Onirophage, Toothy. Phoenix has seven toughness already. I know that we're not putting seven toughness creatures into play, but they're getting big toughness. So being able to tap these as well, it seems like we could potentially mill with this deck. That seems doable. If we're doing that, then we got to put in Consuming Aberration, right? This is the five mana horror. Well, the horror also works with Umbris. Uh, Star, star, power and toughness equal to the number of cards in your opponent's graveyards. Add them all up, put them together. In that wheel, Folio of Fancies example, I know that's a good, that's like a, a lot. That's like a top move, but putting like 42 in the graveyard minimum times three what's that work out to 120 this thing's huge more than 100 more than a commander deck size at that point you did it almost doesn't matter and of course if we're going that route altar of dementia should be in the deck it's a two mana artifact you sack a creature it's again it's a free sack outlet so we're interested in this automatically just for its free sack ability but target player puts a number of cards equal to the sacrificed creature's power into their graveyard so you mill based on power and with consuming aberration it just gets exponential like consuming aberration is often the combined with altar of dementia to do like you work real hard to mill one player and then altar of dementia sacking that consuming aberration basically mills another player before that first player is out of the game because otherwise their graveyard is empty and here's where okay let let me take a, a, a quick moment to go on a sidebar here about like scooping at sorcery speed here's an opportunity where opponents could be like oh you're gonna sack your consuming aberration who is 100 100 to kill player three i'm player two i'm already basically dead well then as player two i will concede so my graveyard will disappear so now your consuming aberration doesn't do much and you fail i believe like a lot of people say concede at sorcery speed i don't in, I'm not the type of person where I'm going to insist you only concede at sorcery speed because we know sometimes players take long turns and if it's not your turn, you'll be like, I want to concede, but I don't want to wait for it to get back to me. That is possible. And we all, I think we're all in agreement if someone has to catch a bus or pick up a ride that we're going to let them leave the game. But it's 
I think we understand that the spirit of the like aggressive conceit, like conceding to affect the game in this way is something I think that should be avoided. So my my take on it is that if someone's like, oh, I'm going to concede so that your consuming aberrations is gone and I'm going to take all my cards and I'm going to go home, blah, blah, blah. So I think in this case, you're like, well, we're not going to make you sit here and concede at sorcery speed, but we're going to pretend you're still here and that your graveyard was how big it was. How big is your graveyard? Doesn't matter. Not telling. I'm going. That's quite frankly, very childish. And I think a good example of like maybe why you should consider whether or not to keep playing with this person. Um, maybe there, maybe there's that attitude of gameplay does not jive with the kinds of games I'm looking for. Let me just put it that way. Anyway, back to the deck. So Mill, we, we finished talking about Mill, but I don't think that's necessarily the way we have to go. There's lots of ways to go, obviously. But one creature type with low toughness I haven't talked about is clones. Clones almost always exist in your hand as zero zero creatures because they enter as a copy. So no matter what's going on, again, unless someone hits like a like an Elish Norn or something like that, and all your things have negative toughness, you're always going to be able to drop a clone no matter what's going on. So Spark Double's my favorite clone. It's the four mana clone that enters with an additional plus one plus one counter, and it's not legendary. That's key. So I can clone Bane, and then the beauty of that move is I can use future clones on the non-legendary Bane so that now when non-token creatures are dying, I was like, do you want me to draw three cards, put three creatures in? Like at that point, you're probably going to say like, just put three creatures in. You're going to run out faster than we can let you card. So, you know, now that I talk it through, maybe copying Bane is not the best move because then it's more exploitable. But that's not what a clone deck's about, right? Clone decks are about letting opponents play big things, and we're going to copy those big things. That's what we would do. And Spark Double, my favorite clone, I think. I really like Clever Impersonator. It's a four-mana clone, but it becomes a copy of any non-land permanent, so we can kind of copy cool artifacts or enchantments that are out there, kind of run in the table. We get a piece of that action. And I think my number three clone is Vizier of Many Faces. It's a four-mana clone, as most of them are, but this one has Embalm, so if it ends up in the graveyard, maybe we are half-mill, half-clone. Uh, Vizier is something we can cast from the graveyard for five mana and get a second a second shot at the clone there. I really like it. So clones, that's another angle we have. I also... Here's some Okay, so yeah, here's another part of the journey. Here's something that was in the back of my mind the whole time we were kind of in the discord talking about this deck it's that if you put a couple of anthems on the battlefield especially if they're creature anthems you can get a situation where no matter what's happening if you ever get the choice to put a creature on the battlefield you will always be able to that allows us to play with some higher toughnesses and get cooler abilities which does twofold right if we have higher toughnesses that we're looking at we can have even more unfair creatures hit the battlefield for free if given the choice and the reason this works is you put a couple of anthems down and it's like imagine there's an anthem that gives all your creatures plus one plus one so now Everything with one toughness in your hand still has one toughness, but everything on the battlefield at minimum now has two toughness. So you kind of have an edge on what's in your hand. Throw a couple of anthems down, and I imagine there's nothing in your deck that can't come down for free if 
anything on the battlefield, non-token, dies. That seems like a good deal to me. And looking at some creature versions that give us anthems, things like Angel of Invention, it's already a 2-1, so it comes down for, for free. I keep saying for free, but you know what I mean, right? Like with that trigger. Three white, white, angel, 2-1, flying vigilance, life link, fabricate two, so we can either make two more servos or have this enter and then immediately become a 4-3. Other creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Excellent. Intrepid Adversary, similarly, this is from uh, Midnight Hunt. This is a mythic. What's this going for? Uh, it's under, it's a couple bucks. This is only a couple bucks. It's a two mana, three, one lifelink. And when it enters a battlefield, you may pay one and a white any number of times. And when you pay this cost one or more times, put that many Valor counters on Intrepid Adversary. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one for each Valor counter. I mean, for four mana... It basically gives a plus one, plus one to everybody. We don't really have a lot of ways to add counters. Obviously, you would want to proliferate this to get the most out of it. But I think as a 3-1 lifelink for four, getting that extra plus one, plus one is decent enough. And it, you know, it's a non-token creature. So when it dies, we get something else out there. I saved the best for last. Ravos Soul Tender. Three white black legendary human cleric. Two two with flying. Other creatures get plus one plus one. But also at the beginning of your upkeep, you may return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Seven bucks. It's a, one of the original partner commanders. And, you know, these have become pricey if they're good. And this one's good. So a little bit of money here, but I think it's definitely worth it in the deck. Now I have saved my favorite for last. As I tend to do, uh, even when I'm eating food, I tend to save like my favorite section of the meal for last. And there is a risk there. Sometimes you end up like, you, you know, you're like, oh, I saved my French fries, but then you get too full and you can't eat those French fries. Anyway, we're not too full. Well, I guess the metaphor would match if you stopped listening by this point and you missed my favorite part. Oh, well, you're listening. Otherwise... How would you be hearing this? Anyway, this is my favorite part. So here's how I got here. Non-token creatures have to die. That's what Bane wants to do. Obviously, with sack outlets, that's fine. I'm going to be casting creatures, bringing them back out of my graveyard. Maybe I'm going to be, you know, sacking them for different reasons. But we got to win, right? So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, why not? Why not focus less on sacrificing things and just making a bunch of cheap creatures with low toughness that hit pretty hard so that our opponents have to either eventually take too much damage and die or they have to start blocking and trading and now we're getting benefit from this type of stuff. Uh, and there's no shortage of three ones for two in the game. Creatures that cost two, that have three, one power and toughness. So basically, I mean, if we've got a couple of anthems out there, excellent. But even if we don't have a couple of anthems, three ones hit hard enough. And if our opponents continually let us draw cards, we can just cast a couple of them every turn. Like our board will just grow and grow and grow. And I'll take this moment to talk about wraths. You might be thinking to yourself, well, doesn't a wrath really screw us over? Because, you know, opponents wrath then we, in well, I'll just shortcut it. You just can't use the ability in response, right? Instinctively, when a wrath is on the stack, we always think, oh, I'll just sack all my creatures before the wrath hits. You can't do that with Bane, because if you do, those triggers resolve first, and everyone just says, fine, put out as many creatures as you want, because they're also going to die. But this is where, and then they will realize that, well, you as the Bane player will realize that, 
once the wrath finally hits, then all the triggers go on the stack. And then you say to yourself, okay, now that everything has died and there's like 10 triggers on the stack, do you want me to draw 10 cards, put out 10 creatures or some combination? And your opponents are in a tough spot. Letting you draw 10 is not easy. It's not an easy thing to just let you do. But if they let you put creatures down, that could spell trouble. Now, here's where it becomes interesting. I mean, this whole thing's interesting to me. If you've shown a ton of three ones for two, they might be like, yeah, sure, put in four more of those. And then once your hand's empty, they got nothing to be afraid of. Then you're kind of top decking. You're drawing off of what's going on. So you have to put in a couple of scary things to occasionally punish people just to teach them that they can't always let you do that. They can't afford to do that. So anyway, where was I? Three ones for two. Loyal Warhound. One in a white, three one Vigilance. And it's the basic Plains Tutor. Uh, if someone has more land than you, put a Plains into play. This is still under a dollar. Actually, this is barely over a gumball. I think we should all, if you don't have one, get one. It's a two mana, three one with Vigilance that ramps you. This should go up a lot. So make sure you have one. Skyclave Shade is a 3-1 for 2, but it can't block, but it also has Kicker of 2 and a black, so if we got nothing better to do, we can make this two enter with 2 plus and plus encounters on it. That would make it a 5-3, but Landfall, whenever land enters, if this is in your graveyard, you may cast it from the graveyard. So we'll always have access to Skyclave Shade, and in perspective of what Bane's doing... Every time Skyclave Shave dies, we either draw a card or it turns into another creature and we just cast it again next turn anyway. Very strong card. Still 10 cents. So kind of surprising to me. Cathar Commando is a... This is also from Midnight Hunt. See, they've given us a lot better creatures in white recently. One on a white, human soldier, 3-1 flash, one, sacrifice Cathar Commando, destroy an artifact or enchantment. So... Three, it's a three mana effect to destroy an artifact or enchantment, which is quite common. Uh, it has flash, so we can do the whole thing at instant speed, doesn't need to tap. But at its base, it's a two mana three one that we're looking for, so it's perfect in the deck. Now, imagine you're turning all these X ones sideways, you're and then your opponents are in that tough position I explained. But then here's what I really realized do you know what's a very common X one creature? Rat colony. This is the one where you get unlimited in your deck one in a black two one rat but gets plus one plus oh for each other rat you control now imagine so this is perfect you put a few rats out they're not two ones they're not even three ones we're looking at four or five ones these things trade with legit stuff and every time one dies it's like do you want to let more rats come down or do you want to let me draw a bunch of cards if i can draw a bunch of cards great. They're cheap. I'll just cast more rats. Your opponents are in a tough position. I think after trying this out a couple times, you might notice, I don't, I haven't field tested this, but you might notice that opponents are like, I, I think I might let you play more rats and just try to wrath you later. So put some bunch of card draw in to even punish that so that they can't just let you do that. Um, if we're afraid of those wraths, I think we can run stuff like Malevolent Hermit. This is the one in a blue creature, human wizard. And for a blue, sacrifice Malevolent Hermit, counter a non-creature spell unless its controller pays three. We can disturb it later on and bring it back as a, as a flying spirit that says non-creature spells you control can't be countered. We don't have a ton of those. But if 
somehow we can, they will let us bring a creature down. It's not going to be a rat. It's a malevolent hermit. And now your wrath effectively costs three more. Similarly, draining whelk, uh, it's four blue, blue flash flying one, one, but when it enters put X plus one plus one counters on it where X is a spells converted mana cost. You counter a spell as it enters. So Maybe we have to cast this the hard way, but if our opponents ever let us have this, right? Imagine this. There, you can sense when your opponents are like, oh, I think they're letting me do creatures. Okay, okay, that's a thing. So they put a wrath on the stack, and you're like, okay, sack a thing. What do you want to do? It's like, oh, no problem. Put a creature out. It's just going to die anyway. Nope, it's draining whelk. Your spell is countered. See, they can't know. They can't know what's going on. And so now, right, think about this as a rat colony deck with a few extras in it. Secret Salvage, three black black sorcery, exile, target, non-land card from your graveyard, search your library for any number of cards with the same name, put them into your hand, shuffle your library. That's a hand full of rat colonies. Now your opponents know they can't just let you pick a creature for 10 triggers because you've got a hand, 10 of 20 in your hand, something like that. How about Immortal Servitude? This is that Orzov Sorcery. Again, a rat colony deck with access to white and blue. It's so cool. Immortal Servitude. X, Orzov, Orzov, Orzov. So it's a three mana spell plus X. Return each creature card from with converted mana cost X from your graveyard to the battlefield. Well, guess what? X is two. That means all of our rats come back out of the graveyard. We got room for Lurus of the Dream Den. You know, Lurus is down to two bucks because he got banned. So no problem. Uh, we all know Lurus. It's a three mana, three, two with lifelink, cat nightmare. During each of your turns, you may cast one permanent spell with converted mana cost two or less from your graveyard. Excellent. This is key, right? We're going to get one more rat back or another one of our, maybe a malevolent hermit or something like that comes back fantastic now we want haste obviously haste is hard to come by for a deck that is in these colors you got to go to crashing drawbridge which is an excellent two mana wall it's a zero four defender but you can tap it to give creatures haste until end of turn we also are looking at a chroma's memorial if we have 12 bucks to spare and seven mana but all of our creatures have flying first strike vigilance trample haste protection from black and red so like if you got it run it it's amazing but uh it's expensive just to get haste so i mean we're back to the usual blue thing it's like if you want haste in a creature deck that uses blue you kind of got to look to extra turns uh make all your rats come out and somehow have enough for an extra turn spell i'll leave it to you to decide which ones you want to run which ones are cheap you know i'm not i'm you don't need me to tell you that the the ones that cost the least mana are the most expensive so you can you can figure that one out, that part of the puzzle out yourself, but maybe just wait at the turn. I, I think it's fantastic. And here's my favorite part of this deck. We're wrapping up here, but I do want to present. I haven't made any Batman jokes yet because this is Bane, right? The character's name is Bane. You know, you only hang out in the darkness. I live in it, that sort of thing, right? Break, break Batman's back, step on a crack, that sort of thing. Well, this is this is Bane. And Bane's arch nemesis is Batman. And if this is a whole rat deck, we can pretend that Bane is Ratman versus Batman. So this is a bit of a Ratman versus Batman deck. I love it. It's too funny. Um, 
we could do the bane the bane voice you only live in the darkness i eat cheese every day we'll know in post if that turned out if you could hear anything like that but what a ride this has been super fun uh i like this deck i know i say this all the time but i want i want to build it in real life there's just not enough time, not enough games, not enough, not enough cards in my collection to build all the decks I want to. But seems really fun. Let me know if you agree what you would do. And like, I think a more interesting question is if this is the Bane deck in the Ratman universe, what are the what are the other Batman villains in the Bane universe, in the Ratman universe? Like, it doesn't have to be rats, but like what's what's a Joker deck? What's a Riddler deck? What's a Poison Ivy deck? I think this is fun. So stay tuned for more Baldur's Gate decks or just a cycle of Batman decks. I, I'm not sure which way I'm going to go as as of this moment. But uh, yeah, you, you'll you'll find out soon enough. Uh, in the meantime, though, uh, I do want to thank some of the people who helped out in the Discord. You know, I can never do this without you. Chiefy, Papadio, Pips Don't Lie, Nosrak 2, and Groove Chicken. Thanks for all your sweet tips and ideas about uh, different ways to take this thing. Um, if you want to get out on some brews, you know, check out patreon.com slash commandersbrew, as I mentioned. And yeah, keep being you. The world is a better place because of it, truly. I'll see you next time.